Well, my guess is, is that uh, when it comes to, uh, when we think about how we're doing spiritually, um, I think that probably a lot of us look at external things. So when we think about what does it mean to be a spiritual person, we think about external things. We think about, am I gossiping a lot? You know, is that, is that happening? We think about, am I holding true to my marital vow? Um, am, I, am I tithing? Am I being the kind of person that I know that I am called to be? Am I reading the scriptures? And that's probably something that we do when we test out or we think through what our spirituality is. But today, we're going we're gonna to talk about what is spirituality in the sense of what faith is and to deal a little bit more with that, because I, I really think that, that we look at the superfluous things or we look at the surface things. When it comes to our faith, we should actually look underneath that. We should look a lot deeper. In church, too many people are interested in attendance numbers, and as a pastor uh, in the United Methodist Church, I can tell you, and uh, we have uh, Pastor Jackie who's visiting with us today with her uh, husband, Josh, and, and Jackie will tell you that, that we get pounded with numbers. You know, what's this and what's that? Numbers here and all this reporting that we have to do. And I've come to understand that, that we cannot be interested in attendance numbers alone. In fact, I think it's very fair to say that, that some people think that churches are successful because they're packed with people. That, that when a church has people coming in droves, that must be a super spiritual church. And, and more importantly, if people are packing churches, then they must really be faithful people. But I've come to learn through the years that neither of those are true. That I can come to a church and not be faithful. That I can have a church that's filled with people and, and the church not be faithful. So we're trying to find something that's a little bit deeper than that. You can easily pack a building with, with slick music. You can easily pack a building with a lot of stage props and all. But I can assure you that, that those things are not pleasing to God, especially when there's a cool spirituality. So I, I, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about you know, finding faith, and we're going to talk about the importance of this. And I really want this series to um, push us in a direction that maybe we've never been. You know, you've been with me on this journey in our faith. I've been your pastor. This is my 11th year with you here at St. Paul. And you know that, that, that it's not always about feel-good stuff, but that we're called to learn. We're called to stretch. We're called to go deeper. We're called not to just become apathetic with our faith and, and check the box that we've gone to church on Sundays. But we're actually called to grow. When the Apostle Paul commissioned his beloved Timothy to go to the church in Thessalonica, uh, Paul had given birth to several of the churches, Corinth, Rome, Galatia, Thessalonica, Ephesus. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And you would think when Paul commissioned Timothy to go check out what was going on in Thessalonica, you would have thought that a couple of things he would have thought about is, is how big is the church? How many buildings do they own? Is the collection covering the bills every week? Are, you know, are things really happening the way they are? Are, are people no longer cussing? Are they still drinking a lot? Are they, are they still coveting what their neighbor has? You know, Paul wasn't interested in any of those things. In fact, I, I find it kind of neat that when you look at what he was actually interested in, Paul wasn't interested in all of the, the things that we find ourselves caught up with in as we look at faith life of us as Christians today. Paul was concerned with one thing. What is the faith level? What's happening in the heart of these Christian neophytes that, that I have led to the foot of Jesus Christ. What's happening in their lives? And, and Timothy, I need you to take a temperature reading. I need you to get word back to me so that I am aware. Paul doesn't just assume that just because they're Christians, that they're faithful. 
He doesn't just assume because they say they follow Jesus that they have understood what it means to have a life of faith. And Paul pressed them. Go read his letters in the scriptures. They're not things that make us feel good. They are things that push us to a deeper level, to discoveries, and with the one goal, and Paul said that that goal is to put on Christ every day, and in that, experience what God is doing in our lives. Listen to some of the words that he says when he talks about checking on the faith of the people of the church. He says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, we sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in what? Your faith. He says in 3, 5, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Do you, do you catch what Paul's interested in? He's interested in their faith. And I love what he says in chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters in all of our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Word was coming back to Paul that there were people that were actually faithful that there were people that were growing in their, their relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul said, that's important. What Paul knew is sometimes what, what I think we've forgotten. Paul knew something very clearly, but I think we've forgotten. When, when people break down in their behavior, when they do what we call backsliding, when they start making bad choices, when they start doing all of those things, when their faith grows cold for God... You know, it's not what we think, because sometimes we say, well, well, it was the church's ministry that did that, or, or the preacher precipitated my fall from, from wanting to go to church because I wasn't being fed. And we get into all those battles with things and, and because of that. But, it, but what we've got to recognize is whenever our faith gets cold, it's no one else's responsibility. Whose is it? It's ours. We are charged with our faith. In fact, my role as a clergy person is to empower the saints, to help you to see what God is doing in your life. But Jesus Christ said, come follow me. And that's how we become empowered in our faith. It's because our faith has, has broken down is why we lose sight of those things. It's because our faith becomes the real problem. When we take a look at, at even here locally or even as our nation or around the world, why do we have so many complex issues dealing? My guess is because we as a global people, the Christian people, we are losing sight of our faith. And we're called to have that strengthened. Here's a big question this morning. I want to just kind of toss this question out. What do you think it would take to amaze Jesus? Think about that for a second. What would it take to amaze Jesus? Now, some of us immediately think of, well, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be a super righteous person. I'll be good, and, and I'll, I'll do all these nice things and whatever, and because of my good deeds, that'll impress Jesus. I, I don't think so. But what would it take for you to impress Jesus. You know, nowhere in the scriptures, nowhere in the gospels do I hear, nor do I read, that Jesus was impressed by people's righteousness. Nowhere do I read that. Never was he impressed by anyone's wisdom. Nowhere is it that he was impressed by anyone's education. Never did he say, boy, Luke is so smart, I'm so glad I've got this physician as a part of my team. Nowhere does he say that. But Jesus was amazed by one thing. What was it? People's faith. Are you following me this morning? 
So, so it's not what we think all the time. It's actually something different. And, and we've got to get to this place where we understand this. Let me take you through a, a couple of examples here. In Matthew chapter 9, a woman comes up to Jesus, and, and, and she has had a bleeding issue for over 12 years of her life. And you can think about just not only the physical complications, but in the Hebrew society, she was seen as unclean. Every day of her life, no one was to be near her because she was seen as unclean because of this uncontrollable bleeding this menstruation that happened that could not be controlled. And we see in the story, she says, if only I could touch his cloak, if only I could touch Jesus' cloak, I would be healed. And Jesus turns around and he looks at her and he says, take heart, daughter. He says, your faith has made you healed. Your faith. Not your words, not, not anything else, not the fact that you, know, you came to town today, but your faith has healed you. When the Roman centurion, uh, Jesus spoke to him, and the Roman centurion said, would you come and, and heal um, a sick person who's a part of my, my master's family? And, and, and Jesus was really uh, concerned about that, and Jesus was ready to go, and the, and the centurion said, no, no, I don't need you to like go there, but I just need you just to speak the words right here. They're over there, but speak the words right here. And based upon your words that you speak, Jesus, I know that that person will be healed. That impressed Jesus that he said, I tell you, I have found no such or even greater faith in all of Israel than what this man has now said. So that's what it looks like to have faith. But let's look at the flip side. So, so Jesus goes to Nazareth. You know, he was born in Nazareth. People said, nothing good can come from Nazareth. He was born in Nazareth, right? And, and he goes there, and he goes back home where he grew up, and listen to what Mark says. Jesus could not do any miracles there except maybe lay hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, let, let me tell you something. Now, I can assure you, no, no demon had power over Jesus. No sickness had power over Jesus. No, no affirmity, no, none of that. It's because the people lacked faith. And it's in our faith that God's power emerges. Some significant things here. True Christianity is to know, that, it's to know Jesus. It's to, it's to know him. It's to trust him. It's to rely on him. It's to lean into him. It's to admit that all of our strength comes from him alone. That's what our faith teaches us. And that's what I think Paul meant when, when Paul wrote those words, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It comes from Jesus. When I was growing up, I, I thought for the longest time as a kid, watching people in the church, I, I thought that the, the, the most faithful people were the ones that stood upright, held their heads high, their shoulders were back, and they kind of did, you know, what I call the church march. They would just kind of march around, and, you know, they would tell everybody, I'm righteous, I'm good, you know. And I, and I thought that, that those were the most faithful people. They held their head high because they thought they had this inner power. But the older that I got, still young, but the older I got, I came to understand that they were not the ones. Even though they could quote scripture, even though they held their head high, even though their shoulders were back, even though they did the, the church march, I've since learned that, that the true faithful persons look more like this. Shoulders hunched, head bowed, total humility, knowing that they have to lean into Jesus. 
That's what faith is. The greatest Christian and person of faith isn't the one who has achieved the most, but it's rather the one who has received the most. Think about some of the stories of the Bible. People bringing their offerings in. Look at all these bags of money I'm putting into the treasury. And the woman comes in with two mites quietly. And Jesus is asked, whose is the greater gift? And he assures us, it's the woman who had very little because she had faith in what God could do. Many of us were brought up in, um, with some sort of faith as children. Our parents, our extended family, our ethnic groups, our society, those likely reinforce our religious beliefs. And, and uh, my wife's a teacher, and, and she comes home, and it's, it's commonplace that, that as I hear some of the stories, we have teachers that are here in our congregations, I hear stories about how children think like their parents think. Some of the things I hear are like high-level stuff that, that happens in news and those kind of things, and the kids are like singing that, pray, you know, singing that just like it's like normal conversation around the table. So we learn from, from all these groups, and the challenge is as we grew older, we, we didn't really question a whole lot when we were younger, but as we grew older, we started questioning things, and we started thinking about, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense, or, or theologically, that doesn't quite get it, or hey, wait a minute, when I read the Bible, this isn't really what I think it says, and yet when we were growing up, those are the kind of things that we were told. Some of us have lived through hypocrisy in the life of the church. We've seen somebody that we've idolized, someone that we have adored, to see them only fall from grace. And it has challenged our way of thinking. Many of us find ourselves going through the motions, but we've never really experienced faith for ourselves. We can talk about it. We can, we can say to people, this is what faith is. This is what I believe. But, but that stir, that change, as Wesley would say, that, that, that strangely warm feeling in our heart has never come. And that's where we are. One way or another, we, we outgrew our faith as children. We outgrew our faith as youth. And that's why so many of us find ourselves seeking faith that we can embrace as adults. That's why today there are more unchurched people ever in the time of our history ever before, unchurched people, because they're searching, they're seeking, and they're thinking they can find something else, and they're not really sure that the institutional church or institutional Christianity is the way in which they can believe. And so they're searching and they're seeking, and the vacancies are there. Some of us have faith, but it's weak. Some of us have faith because it's damaged. Some of us were damaged in our faith because of something a parent said to us, or a coach, or a teacher. Some of us are, are damaged in our faith because of something that happened in the life of the church. And maybe someone in, in clerical authority mistrusted or misused that privilege, and it has damaged the faith in which we have. We've in, been injured by our families. We've been injured by so many Maybe our faith is like a vaccination. We get just enough to just say, I got it. It's there. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it's, it's there. It might help. And we're totally in need, instead of trying to, to catch the virus of faith, we need more. So this whole piece of faith is so important and so critical. It's such a, um, an awe-inspiring conversation for us to have over the next four or five weeks. 
to really check ourselves. And, and the question I kind of want to throw out this morning is, when it comes to having faith, where are you? You know, let's, we, we've talked about how as a church that we want to be transparent. That's one of our values, to be transparent and, and to be authentic and to be authentic like Jesus was and to strive to be like that. That's one of our values as a church. And, and so, so we don't want to start telling each other, oh, yeah, I have all this robust faith. We want to be real because we have to know where we are so that we can grow from there. And the significance that comes. When it comes to faith, are you one who says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something? You don't get it? Well, here it is. Let me tell you a little story. After, after uh, hearing his dad preach a couple sermons on justification and sanctification and all the other Asians that we talk about in the life of the church, a minister's son was ready when he got into Sunday school class, and the teacher asked a very simple question. She asked, who knows what procrastination means? The little boy says, I don't know what it means, but I know our church believes in it. <laughs> Where are we? Where are you in your life of faith? You see, faith has to be more than just talk. It's not something we study. It's not something we take Bible studies and learn. It's not something that we can, like, take an examination on the Internet and say, okay, where am I at with my faith? Sometimes we're, we're not better than those during Isaiah's time. And Isaiah spoke these words. He says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So, so faith isn't what we say, it's who we are. It can't just be a cerebral experience. It also has to be the heart. Here, here's what worries me. A lot of times I think we, we teach and we believe that, that in order to be a person of faith, I have to know certain phrases, I have to say certain things a certain way, I have to know the code, the password, the handshake, and all those things that come with that. And some quarters will say that you've got to know all those things, and you're told if you can do and say all those things, then you have faith. And this is what concerns me, because I think it's troublesome. I think that that kind of thought is troublesome, especially if left unchecked. Real faith is more than words. It's more than phrases. True Christianity is to, to know Jesus, to, to trust Jesus, to rely on Jesus, and to know that everything that we have comes from Jesus. And that's what true Christianity is. And that's the kind of faith that we need to live and to build toward to live a life that's victoriously in Christ. Jesus taught often in parables, right? So, so we read all through the gospel about parables. What's a parable? A parable is a story. It's kind of like a, a, an object lesson. It's a metaphor. It's all sorts of things. And Jesus takes a topic and he intertwines and it's something that, that people can tangibly see with their minds. Uh, the term might be called a word picture, okay? So he gives them a word picture so they can see that. Oh, I can identify. That's a parable. And out of that parable, though, he tells something, gets people to think, and then he tells them, here's what it means so that you can deal with it, so you know how to, how to live into this. And so Jesus is telling parables. What does he, he uses like farming, he uses darkness, he uses light, he uses food. Why, why some of those things? Because these were some of the, the huge challenges that people early on in the first century and through Christianity really dealt with. And so Jesus used the kind of things that people would understand. Now, most of us today, we're not farmers, but I, but I want us to go into the story. And this is what's really important. When you read scripture, don't look at it as, well, this is how they did it back then. Insert yourself into the story. 
Put you into the story. Get it into the proper context and live into that. So in Luke 8, here's the parable that Jesus teaches, and this is the one I want to kind of work with a little bit before we end this morning. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Some of it fell on the ground or fell on the road. It was trampled down, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell into the gravel, and it sprouted, but it withered because it didn't have good roots. Other seed fell in the weeds. The weeds grew with it, and they strangled it. And other seed fell in rich earth and produced a bumper crop. So let's kind of like get a word picture here. Let's kind of put this in perspective. So in, in, uh, the common ground in Palestine was, was split. And as it was split, it had uh, narrow uh, bands in it, and it had places where they could plant, try to plant things, but the ground was never really tilled. So it was really hard, kind of like what you're seeing here. And so imagine that seed, the sower throwing the seed on that. Guess what? It's, it's just going to die. It's not, it, it doesn't have a chance. The second thing Jesus talks about is the rocky ground. Now, now, it's not necessarily that the ground was like full of boulders that you couldn't move or anything like that, but what it meant was that the, there was a thin layer of, of ground before the limestone. And so something might go into the ground for a minute or two as it's trampled on, but it's not going to go anywhere because the limestone, the ground isn't that good. So it's not going to grow either. Then he said that, um, well, there's ground that's full of thorns. And, and now this is kind of interesting because actually what the parable tells us is that the seed sprouts, but now all of a sudden the good crop is intertwined in with the thorns. And you can't really harvest the crop, and the thorns are going to outwhelm or overwhelm the, um, the, the crop. So that's not good either. And then the last one he talks about, he says, this is what he calls the good ground. This is the ground that's fertile. It's, it's, it's ready to go. You can plant in it, and, and God's going to bless it, and some magical, mystical things are going to happen. You see, a farmer, when a farmer sows seed back then, they didn't have these like John Deere tractors and air conditioning and all that stuff that our farmers have today. They basically took the seed and they just kind of threw it out. So the farmer's job is to go and just take and throw the seed out. But, but it's the ground's responsibility to be prepared. Did you catch that? The farmer throws the seed, but it's the ground's responsibility to be prepared. And think about that. So, so we're the ground... The seed is like, that's, that's something that's important. So there's the sower, the person who's throwing the seed. So the disciples are saying, well, Jesus, what, what does this mean? I mean, are you just talking about like, you know, a, an old version of Johnny Appleseed just kind of throwing stuff out there? And Jesus says this. He says, the seed is the word of God. So, so the seeds are being thrown out. So, so who's the sower? The sower is God, right? So God is throwing the seeds out. It's the word of God. The seeds on the road are those who hear the word, but no sooner do they hear it then the devil snatches it from them so they won't believe and be saved. So these are folks that, that, that aren't prepared at all. You know, maybe they talk a good game of faith, but, but they really don't have anything, and something happens, and boom, you know, they're, they're just they're toast. It doesn't matter. The seeds in the gravel are those who hear with enthusiasm, but the enthusiasm doesn't go very deep. It's only a fad, and the moment that there's trouble, there's gone. We all know people who are faithful, who, who say they're part of, of the church, of Christianity, but are they really? I'm committed to the church, but I'm going to go down the street. You see what I'm saying? 
It says, and then the seed that fell into the weeds, well, well, these are the ones who, who hear, but then the seed is crowded out and, and nothing comes of it as they go about their lives worrying about tomorrow, making money and having fun. So these are some that are just kind of like, well, I'm just going to kind of spend my life on the earthly things rather than the spiritual things. And the last one, but the seed and the, and the good earth, these are the good hearts who seize the word, hold on to it no matter what, sticking with it until there's a harvest. You see, our, our faith, our faith is like the seed being thrown from the farmer. Some of us want to believe, and, but when we drill down, what we find out is, is that we're really superficial. We kind of know the language. We know how to kind of throw out things to kind of convince people. It's kind of like going to your therapist, and your therapist is asking you to explain something, and you do, and they look at you, and they, they, they call the BS card on you, right? Because they know you're not telling the truth. No, no. So, so, so that's, that's one set of folks. Or, or maybe you're the person whose faith is like that thrown in the weeds. That You have faith until a crisis comes. Something doesn't work out the way you hoped it would. Or, or you prayed and you're not sure what that prayer will do. And therefore, we're not sure. But, but Jesus calls us to have a faith that's like the seed that falls in the fertile ground. God is ready to plant in us. Are we prepared? And that's the metaphor of what we see. So the question is, which one are you? Which one am I? Are, are, are we faithful or are we superficial? Are we just kind of a, a little bit deep? Or are we a mile deep? Are we, are we growing in our faith? Or did we kind of like put it on, on hold for a while because we're just not really sure we want to put more time and effort into it? So where are we? What I've also experienced is, is when difficulties come. Difficulties and challenges, I think, are a lot of what causes us to get into faith crisis. And that's why I think it's really important to go back and look at all those fears that we talked about in that series. Because the question becomes, can we move through that? You see, what difficulty are you facing today? What's going on in your life right now that has you unsure about what to believe? What's happening with you at this very moment that you say, I, I, I think I'm a person of faith, but I'm not sure. And how are you working that out? You see, I wonder what God is waiting to do in your life. I, I wonder. I wonder what God is waiting to do in you. I wonder what God is ready to accomplish in you. I wonder what God is ready to cut you loose to change this world in a magnificent way. And are you ready for that? Will you have the faith to receive that and to move ahead? In faith, I've often wondered, I've often wondered, what would happen in our church, or not just this church, but, but the church, capital C? What would happen if people came to each gathering with greater faith? What would happen if people came to worship with an expectation that God is here? What would happen if we came into worship shouting and praising, going like, this is such like heaven, God is here, and, and all of a sudden we are in the Spirit and life is changing, and Jesus is moving. People fought to touch Jesus. Are we fighting to touch him? People fought to get into the presence of Jesus. Are we fighting to get into the presence of Jesus? People prayed for an experience with Jesus. Are we praying? And do we have the faith to understand what that experience would be? In faith, I've wondered what it would be like if we yielded our hearts, 
yielded our hearts for that specific purpose. Can you imagine what the church could do then? Can you imagine how the world would understand and come to know real truth? Can you imagine? You see, it, it's, it's time to be planted in good ground. It's time to begin a journey to mature our faith. It's time to come near. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. And you and I can be too. Let me just encourage you to close your eyes for a second. Those of you that are joining us at home, just close your eyes, please. Just clear your mind for a second and, and just think for a moment about what it means to be able to receive the word of God and have it planted in fertile ground. Think about what it would mean for you to have a spirit open to that. Is your faith missing? Are you not sure what faith is? And maybe that's why you're here today, and there's no judgment to that. In fact, heaven rejoices that you're here, and we rejoice. Is your faith getting strangled by life's challenges? Are you at a point in your life where, where you, were, you felt you were a firm believer of faith, you were practicing faith, but something's happened in your life that, that now has got you questioning and has you like wondering and, and concerned about what's next? Is it, is it been a struggle and you're just barely holding on to hang in there? Or are you planted in God's good ground? Are you being nurtured? Are you nurturing your faith? Are you coming into the presence of the one who is calling you by name? Jesus said, have faith and believe. Lord God, we wanna be faithful. We wanna be faithful, so I pray that you would just touch us, that you would touch our nation to touch this world, that may we who are the church that bears your name live out our life in true faith. In Jesus' name, amen.